Today's show is brought to you by Of A Kind, an online shop for emerging design. For more information, visit ofakind.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I'm coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to the show live every Thursday at 11 a.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes. Today's show is dedicated to the idea of hard work. It's not fun. It's not short. It's not catchy or full of top 10 lists, but it's the thing that separates successful businesses from flash in the pan companies. And it's the driving factor that builds the sort of experience and expertise that almost every field seems to be looking for these days. Today, I'm joined by two people who know an awful lot about hard work, my coworkers and the hardest working blog team around, Amy Azarito and Max Thielman. Hey, guys. Hello. <laughs> um, they're very happy they were able to brave the weather to join me today because it's freezing in New York this morning. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about something that's been inspired by sort of a general wave of comments and emails and things I've been reading on the internet lately, namely people who seem to want to have like a shortcut around any of the hard work and even some just the not fun stuff that comes with starting a business of any type. And I've been thinking about how valuable all that experience, even like the really tough stuff is in terms of actually building the sort of confidence you need to get through the harder things that will eventually happen with a business. So today we're going to talk about the value of hard work. Um, and it's really, it's not about short cuts or tips today. It's really about how you get through these things, why they're important, and sort of looking back on them. And then Max is going to have sort of an interesting angle for us as someone who's a bit younger than Amy and I and knows a lot about sort of being in that place of first jobs and what it's like to get through those things, but how much you can learn from them and why they're valuable. Um, So let's start out with sort of the value of hard work. I want to read... this quotation from Ann Landers that I always love. Um, and she said, opportunities are usually disguised as hard work. So most people don't recognize them. Wow. And I love that. It makes me think about first jobs. And I'm sure we've all had first jobs that were terrible. I think my first official job was um, at a suntanning booth in Virginia wow. Beach called uh, Sunshine Strip. Uh, which sounds disgusting. I uh, was my, f- I think my first official job probably. Mm. And I worked at the front desk and never used the suntan booth for like the first year I worked there. And I had to like clean toilet, cheery spray down suntan beds and not enjoyable work. But it really taught me a lot about a, what I didn't want to do growing up, which is important, but also just the actual like small nuts and bolts of what it was like to own a business and all the things that you're responsible for. Um, so I think that was a good first dose. But I want to hear about your first. Amy, tell me a little bit about one of your first well, jobs. Well, one of the things that, oh, my first jobs. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, my first job, my dad forced me to get a job. He was <laughs> like, you're 16 years old. Get a job. Um, and I was nervous I didn't know how to get a job so I asked a friend who the only friend I knew who worked she worked at a pizza place um and so I said do you think they would hire me too (laughs) and she said networking I didn't know that's what I was doing and she said yeah yeah I think I think they have a place and so I I went and got a job and once I started making my own money I don't think I ever stopped so 
But yeah, it was a pizza place. I reeked of pizza. (laughs) And to this day, everyone who knows me knows that pizza is not one of my favorite foods for that reason. It makes me so sad because that's like my favorite food in the whole world. Max, what was your first job? I worked at a farm stand um, at a farmer's market when I was 11. Oh, my gosh. And I got $25. Is that legal? I don't (laughs) think so. It was entirely (laughs) off the books. I got $25 a day. Um, And I think that the farmer who I worked for was, like, really into trying to teach me lessons every day. I wasn't allowed to use a calculator. I had to do all the math in my head. Oh, wow. Which was really tough, especially because the... um, The shoppers at the farmer's market always like to make an example of me by handing me $100 bills and buying, you know, like a little quart of apples or something. So what what farm stand were you at? People are dropping $100 (laughs) bills. And this was Buffalo? Union Square. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Buffalo. People doing well at the farm stand. People are into their... (laughs) Or they like to torture an 11-year-old. That's true. Yeah. Um, I think those sorts of first jobs are like the most terrible menial labor right. jobs, but they're they're good sort of experiences to take with you into your first, what I like to consider like your first real job in the field you want to go into. My first real job was in design PR. And I remember going into it thinking like, this is not what I want to do full time, but I know this is going to be important because it's in some way connected ever so thinly to the community that I very much want to be a part of. And while it wasn't exactly the job that I loved and I wanted to go to every single morning, I learned so much from it. And I think I primarily learned sort of how to make connections with people Mm -hmm. because although it was my job obviously to reach out to people and form relationships with people I had no experience ever doing that and just got thrown in there Mm -hmm. how to write emails to people how to talk to people on the phone how to respond to people when they were upset and I got stuck with all the unhappy people because I was like the lowest person on the totem pole and so Mm -hmm. that's what I was dealing with but looking back I think those sorts of PR skills especially dealing with unhappy people in PR was one of the most valuable things because then when I started my site dealing with people who were unhappy whether it was related to advertising or something that I'd written or just anything else on the internet it seemed like old hat to just kind of go into it but I think because I went into that job with such low expectations of like this is going to be good I'm going to learn like these basic skills and Mm -hmm. then it's going to be like my first step towards many other steps Mm -hmm. in the direction I want to go in Um, I think because I didn't have huge expectations for that it went really well Um, and before the show Max we were talking about people and the expectations they have for those first jobs. Um, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on younger people going into those first jobs, because I think you're a bit younger than Amy and I, and you've got a, it's a bit more relevant and recent for you. So tell us a little bit about sort of first job expectations and what you think they should be or how people can go into that with the right frame of mind. Okay. Well, I mean, just as somebody who is from the you know so-called uh, millennial generation. <laughs> I think that I do have some useful insight for all of us millennials out there looking for our first jobs, etc. Um, you know, in recent months, our generation, the much feared millennials, has come <laughs> under intense fire. Um, countless claims have been made against us, some of which are true, <laughs> some of which <laughs> are a bit no, off. But true. the one thing that I think that we can all agree on is that us millennials. We are impatient, <laughs> um, and I absolutely include myself in that. Um, whatever the cause may be, you know, the internet, video games, Twitter, blah, 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 blah. Um, this impatience is something that I think um, tends to define us as a generation, but also hinder us, especially professionally. Um, 
of the many pitfalls that I see my fellow millennials falling into, one of the most frequent and troubling is this impatience, Mm -hmm. especially when it applies to careers. Well, it's Um, hard because it's impatience, but it's also a very tough job market, mm -hmm. right? So it's like you have the two, like really impatient and a really hard job market. So it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, millennials just as a rule tend to want (laughs) things done and they want them done now. (laughs) I'm absolutely including myself in this. Um, As such, when we complete college at the fastest rate possible, I might add, um, many of us expect to fall headfirst into the job Mm -hmm. of our choice, into the position of our choosing. Um, Millennials, you guys need to calm down, (laughs) take a chill pill. Life is long. We've got time. One of the biggest problems with this career-related impatience is the wrench that this seems to throw into our openness towards learning mm-hmm. and gaining new experiences. Um, I've known far too many people, too many friends who have given up or quit their jobs just because they were too menial or because mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly what they expected. No bueno. No. <laughs> I feel <laughs> that this might have something to do with the fact that this world we live in, we're surrounded by very visible examples of success whether it be mm. celebrities on the red carpet, tales of Silicon Valley billionaires, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that I think is really lacking from all of these success narratives is the fact that work went into this and above mm-hmm. all time. Right. Um, I mean, nothing in this world is absolute. People change, your career changes, your interests change. All of this stuff takes time. And I think it's really, really important to know that that's okay. Um, There's so many benefits to be had from taking your time to working up from the bottom to learning as much as you possibly can. By starting from the bottom, for instance, you're able um, to really hone your skills without you know, having too much impact or false career momentum. You can allow yourself to gain important, useful skills um, while still having the relative luxury mm-hmm. of being able to decide if this is something you actually want to do. Um, you are exposed to so much more starting off from the bottom. You get to meet new and interesting people, gain insight, multiple perspectives mm-hmm. from numerous you know, heights at the work ladder. Yeah. Um, and you're able to slowly nurture your skills without forcing them. And this really allows for fleshed out, um, really developed skills and talents rather than stunted ones. Mm-hmm. Um, lastly, um, I think it's important um, to know that if this is something that you actually want to do, building these skills um, is really similar to building yourself up physically. Mm -hmm. Um, Each step um, really helps towards making you stronger and more masterful at whatever you might want to do. I mean, there's a reason that you know, some of the most famous Renaissance painters, for example, studied under their predecessors for years or Mm -hmm. even decades honing their skills because that time that Um, which can sometimes be a very long time, is really, really important in terms of developing your talents and skills. I think that's that's something that doesn't exist in, like, Amy and, like, our generation that exists in a slightly younger generation is this idea of that, like, working for someone else for any amount of time is somehow a hindrance or, like, just a stupid decision. And even back in, I think, in, like, 2004, 
2005 or 2006, I went to a Pratt um, undergraduate, like senior class mm-hmm. show. And there were some incredibly talented kids in that senior graduating class, some of whom have gone on to be very successful designers. And I remember asking them, like, what's next? What are you guys doing? Assuming to hear from almost every single one of them that they were going to be like apprenticing or working or doing something for like a larger firm or some other company. And every single one of them was like, why on earth would I work for somebody else? Which at the time, I remember thinking like, this is amazing. What a great class of entrepreneurs. Mm. And looking back, I've watched the majority of those kids kind of stumble and end up eventually going to work for someone else. Not that that's a bad thing, because sometimes you have to learn a lesson that way. But at some point, I think it's a good thing to learn under somebody else. Because I think when you're in those lower stages of a job, you see the real side of a business that you do not see if you are immediately thrown to the top. Mm -hmm. Because if you're sort of the intro assistant, whatever person, you're going to see what those people in that business are actually like, because they're not putting on their best faces for you. They're not like trying to impress you. They're just trying to like get something from your company or get something done. And Mm -hmm. you get to see what people are really like, which is sometimes not enjoyable, but incredibly valuable experience. And I think, I mean, in a, bad way but in a good way for the employee getting to know what people are really like is incredibly valuable because I met so many members of the press that are still working members of the press when I was 23 working in PR who were terrible to me Mm. and that now like 10 years later because I'm running something that they have some interest in are completely different to Mm me and it's I don't I don't forget the things that happened to me when I was 23 and you can't you know hold a grudge forever but I think it's important to know that like some people are great to everybody at every possible like rung of a company and then some people exactly and (laughs) I I think it's important to learn that stuff and it's a good lesson to know that like you just have to be nice at every level of the job you should it's it's one of those rules that I remember you always read about like celebrities in magazines saying like be nice to the crew on a movie and it's the same philosophy of like you should be friendly and helpful and kind to every person in a company whether they're the person like dropping off the mail at your desk Mm -hmm. or the person who's like signing the checks um I'm curious a little bit to talk about sort of the ways you push through the most difficult parts of a job um and i'm i want to move a little bit past the idea of like these first first jobs where like you're cleaning toilets and things like mm-hmm. that but let's talk a little bit about the level of like your early jobs whether you're starting a company um or doing something different so i want to talk about the sort of nuts and bolts of how you get through that um i'm going to start with max but first we're going to take a really quick break so i just realized it's 11 15 so we'll dive into this in one minute so we'll be right back with tips on pushing through the tough part of your first job Emerging design? Check out Of A Kind, a site that sells the pieces and tells the stories of up and coming makers. The site has featured over 200 designers and offers limited edition pieces you can't find anywhere else, along with the studio tours, travel guides, even recipes from the designers. To find out more, head to ofakind.com and sign up for the site's newsletter. Hey, 
Welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I'm joined by the other two-thirds of Design Sponge, Max Thielman and Amy Azarito. And we're talking about the importance of hard work today and how we push through mm-hmm. it and the lessons that you can learn from it. Um, right before the break, we were introducing the idea of sort of the actual nuts and bolts of how you get through the not-so-fun parts of any job in the early stages. Um, and Amy, you had some very clear thoughts I had on some, that. I did. I had something I wanted to say to all millennials, which is you, you have a secret <laughs> I weapon. I show is not going to be all about hating no, millennials. You have a secret weapon. It's called the morning. <laughs> um, I think that the morning is literally the secret. And I'm talking about getting up early um, and using those two hours when everyone else is sleeping to get the things done that are really important to you. So mm-hmm. this is the time that I've personally used to learn Spanish. I've used it to write a book. I've used it... Uh, to exercise when that was really important to me. And I found this um, this little book on Amazon called What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. And it was a, it's a sort of celebration of the idea that you can use your mornings to either nurture your career, um, <clears throat> nurture your family relationship in some way, have an amazing breakfast with your children or something like that, or use it uh, to nurture yourself through working out, meditating, um, something like that. And so to me, and you're a morning person too, mm-hmm. and I think when you talk to a lot of successful people, one thing that you find out is they, they actually start their day really early, and that's how they're able to get ahead. And I use, for me, I use that time to do the things that are most important to me. And studies have shown I find this that your willpower actually decreases throughout the day. Have you read this? So it's like because you're making all these choices, Mm -hmm. right? So by the time you get to, which is they say, like diets are broken in the evening, not the morning, Mm. which is true for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cake, please. But so by the time you get to the evening, you're just spent. You're Mm -hmm. making all these decisions. You're trying to make the right choices, and the morning is really the time. And so to set yourself up for that, which might mean going to bed a little bit Mm -hmm. earlier. you know, keeping a time log so that you can see what are you doing late mm-hmm. at night. Um, not checking email first thing in the morning. If someone sends you an email at 8 p.m. at night, they don't, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m., they don't expect a response at 6.30 yeah. in the morning. You don't have to do that. And you can use that time to really further your career, I think. I don't know. It's a good point because I think a lot of the, the difficult thing about any first job, even if it's in the field you already want to be in, even if it's your own company that you're starting, is that there's always going to be like some side project, something you want to do that you need to nurture but don't have time for. And almost everybody saves that for when they get home from work. It's right. like, all right, I work like nine to six, I get home, and then I'm going to work on my passion project. But you're exhausted at the right. end of you're the day. Spent. And whether you're 24 or you're 44, like you're still going to be tired after a long day of work where you're assuming you're putting in your full effort. So using those morning hours is a really smart way to like wake up, you have your coffee, you're fully aware, you're fully awake, you're getting your best decisions put into that work right. that's it's so quiet. important to you. Um, I actually use those mornings to plow through all of like the things I don't enjoy about my job, right. which is just like plowing through mass amounts of emails, dealing with admin work, taxes, payroll, like all of that sort of stuff that happens. I like to get done in the morning and just push it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you get to check a bunch of stuff off of a list. It feels like you're getting a lot done. And then the you know, next thing you know, it's like, 9 30 or 10 a.m and you can go into regular work having all this stuff just pushed out of the way so you can focus on the right. things that you actually like and i think that applies to any not fun part of a job um but i think when we were talking about this topic before we got on air i think max brought up some something really interesting about how pushing through these hard parts can you know very much often be about like what are the tricks to get you through it but 
I like that Max, you said something about it really being about taking pride and, and every, mm, that's really everything important. you do, like kind of having your name on it. Can you talk a little bit more about, about that? I mean, for me personally, I think that's a huge um, motivating factor in enjoying and getting work done for me. I always try to be really, really proud of the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And this even applied when I was doing pretty like menial office jobs, like running copies for professors, shredding paper. I don't like, I, I think I always tried to do those things to the best of my ability, maybe put something a little bit extra in use, Mm -hmm. use fancy paper or something. (laughs) Um, and I think that doing something that you are proud of, maybe injecting a little bit of fun or something interesting into it really goes a long way Mm and making a, you feel more a part of that process and b helping to motivate you a lot more Mm -hmm. in doing those things. And it's a good habit for as things as things move move forward. And I think it's it's an important point to make that a lot of times when you're in sort of the earlier stages of any company, whether you're an assistant or something like that, the vast majority of companies are hiring from within mm-hmm. and they're promoting from within. Oh, so true. So if you're somebody, let's say you want to be an interior designer and you're a brand new junior associate something at your firm, chances are the, the more impressive you are in-house doing your things there and letting people know that you go above and beyond for tasks, the more quickly you are able to be scooped up to fill in a space from somebody who's not doing that I actually you know what I think that's it that brings up a really good point which is I think a lot of people feel like when they're at that that first job that they need to be doing like the only way they can impress people is by like designing a room Mm -hmm. so if they they just want the opportunity to design a room whereas actually the people who are designing a room just want you to like answer the phone and respond to email so Mm -hmm. if you do that in a way that shows that you're really engaged you're focused you're helping them be the best they can be Mm mm-hmm that's how you get the opportunity. And I think it's about helping everyone be the best they can be, no matter what your role is um, on the team. Absolutely. And I think one thing that's good to remember, and this applies to any field, any job, is that all those skills that you're learning from emailing to helping somebody streamline their work process if you're their assistant are things that will come into play at the highest level of any business. Mm -hmm. I think had I been thrown into my company having like 15 employees, which at some point we did a couple years ago and I was managing all these people and I knew nothing about managing people, but thankfully I'd had at least a few years under my belt of what it was like to slowly take on people, work with them as an editor, deal with back and forth, deal with payroll, deal with insurance. None of those things happened overnight, but had they happened overnight, it would have been way more of a mess than it already was with me trying to learn those things. And I think a lot of people wish for just like a business to be handed to them. And yes, like the financial part of that would be amazing to just be handed a functioning, profitable business right off the start. But you you aren't handed those skills that come with the years of expertise. And I think it was I think it was like Queen Martha herself who said something about like you have to have experience to be an expert. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's really important. And I think it's not like I hate when people say this word, but it's kind of true. Like it's not a sexy thing to like mm-hmm. work for like ten years to learn something. But like you just you don't get to be an expert by not actually putting in the hard hours and knowing what it's like to have things fail, to have things not go right, to have like hurdles and troubles and things like that. And I think it's easy to get distracted by examples of like overnight seeming overnight because usually they never are. But exactly. It's, but it's and it's also it's okay to be a beginner at things. Mm-hmm. Like it's really it's okay to just sort of sit here and and start out and you don't need to feel like you no matter where you are in life I think sometimes we we become self-conscious about being 
um, being beginners. Mm-hmm. Like that's there's something wrong with us because we're starting and everyone else is further along. But that's just the place to start and you have to start somewhere and it's baby steps one foot in front of the other yeah and i think we've been talking a lot about sort of the responsibility of the people who are the employees and not so much the employers but i think if you're somebody who's owning a company i think that's why it's important to be honest and transparent about the struggles Mm -hmm. and difficulties of running a company and you don't need to only talk about the negative but i think the more examples people have of very realistic real life businesses the better able people are to understand like how you get to where those people at the top are, which is a lot of work, a lot of trial and error. And I think even those examples that seem like overnight successes aren't. And I went to a blogging conference a couple years ago and everybody kept holding up the example of Tavi Gevinson from Rookie as like, well, I just want to be Tavi. Like, I want to be like 16 and have a blog blow up overnight. And even Tavi didn't actually blow up overnight. Like she was blogging for years and years and years. And I think that, yes, if you have exceptional talent, which Tavi is a great example of, um, it, it can let you rise to the top a little bit more quickly. But there are still years of, of work, work and talking to nobody and things like that that are building that you really have to kind of let marinate and happen overnight. And I think that it would be nice if sort of the creative community in particular was a bit more transparent right. about some of the things they were struggling with. And I think we've been really happy to have people on this show in particular who've been nice enough and vulnerable enough to talk about the things that are difficult and the things that are not so fun and I think those are really good things for people to hear and it's interesting to talk like I get emails about this show where people will not say publicly but will say privately like this show was so good to hear because I've been dealing with this same thing but don't feel comfortable talking about it online but if people would actually talk about it you would know we're all kind of in the same boat I heard this great, um, so if you read, I wrote a big post this week about how I've been learning Spanish and it has been hard, but um, in my mornings, but one of the things that I did in the beginning was I just made a commitment to myself that I was going to work every day and not worry about um, uh, whether or not I could speak. I was just going to practice every day and and see what happened. And so I I got discouraged and uh, someone sent me a link to this article on Lifehacker uh, and the article is written by a software developer who had a bout as a stand-up comic. And at one point, he was it was uh, he was backstage. Uh, Seinfeld had just started, and Jerry Seinfeld was there. He was still like going on, and and this guy was like, "This is my opportunity." And so he asked Jerry Seinfeld, "He's like, what? What do you have any tips for someone starting out?" And Jerry Seinfeld said, "What you need to do." You need to get a big wall calendar, okay? And you need to get a big red magic marker. And every day that you work on writing, you make an X. Every day. And he said, if you do that for three or four days, you'll see this chain of Xs. And you won't want to break your chain. Mm -hmm. So you'll keep going and you'll keep making your Xs. And Jerry said, all you need to do is just don't break the chain. Don't break the chain. And that's... That was his advice. I don't know if he still does that. I wish someone asked Jerry Seinfeld. I but I think it's a great that mark for true. <laughs> but I think it's a great way that like that's that is how you make a habit. Mm-hmm. That is the hard work. And so even someone like Seinfeld, who seemed you know who had a huge hit show, who was doing fairly you know very well financially, uh, he was continuing to work on his craft, and it was still important to him to write every day and to to chart his progress and to motivate himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love that story. I think keeping track of your accomplishments at even the earliest levels is a good way to keep yourself motivated. And I want to touch on something before we end a little bit about, and I think this is a question that will probably pop up about this topic, is how do you know when it's time 
to to move on mm. to move on to the next place like if the the inspiration for this episode was how i was thinking about how it's important to quote unquote like pay your dues to kind of like work yourself up the ladder of of any particular niche but like how do you know when you're ready to leave like your comforting nurturing first job of that like what are the signs that it's ready to move on for me I wasn't comfortable to move on from my job until I had like a completely comfortable financial situation set up at another job that was like the next step up. But for each of you, what do you think are sort of the signs that you're ready to try something new? Well, I think for me, it was the same thing. I, for a while, blogging was my morning activity. Mm -hmm. I did it in the morning until it became my full day activity. Mm. I did it in the mornings and the evenings on the weekends and all. And I was freelanced. I think that's what you do is you freelance until at a certain point you're like, wow, this could be full time. Mm-hmm. And I think unless unless you have some other financial means, I think that's what most people do. They just yeah. sort of wait until it makes it's it has to be financial. I think. Yeah. What about you, Max? Do you have any? No, I don't really know. I'd say I'm still like very much in the beginning stages of my professional life. Still like sort of paying dues in a number of respects, but I mean personally like when I've switched jobs or like changed it's always been because there was a new door that was opened Mm -hmm. or I had gained some new skill Mm -hmm. um I I think being aware of changes around you grasping opportunities when they come is very important Mm -hmm. um I don't know I think I'm still sort of figuring that out though yeah I think the idea of grasping opportunities is a good thing to keep in mind as um, we kind of bring things to a close for this episode. I think the importance of working hard is just to sometimes notice that things that seem like they might be tough or might be a challenge to learn are actually the best opportunities to grow, learn something different, Mm -hmm. and take yourself a little bit higher up that ladder. Because it's it's a long haul. Even if you're Martha Stewart, there's still long haul work to be done. Like You can never rest on your laurels, primarily because every industry is changing so quickly now and that's something we've talked about so much on the show already but whoever you are whatever field you're working in your field is going to change even when you don't feel it changing it's Mm -hmm. already changing so the more that you're learning the more that you're getting new skills and exposing yourself to new parts of your business that you've never tried before the better and i think one thing i want to leave the show on is the importance of community and no matter what job you have the people who work around you your colleagues within your company and outside of your company are the people that are the most valuable contacts that you are ever going to have because they're the people who understand exactly what you're going through. And you don't get to build those friendships and those connections without going through the hard stuff because Mm -hmm. everybody's going to want to have someone around them who knows what it's like to do what you do. And if you don't know what it's like to go through the difficult stuff, what it's like to lose an employee, what it's like to deal with, you know, paying a payroll, what it's like to deal with when things don't go right. You have so much less to talk about with those people and you have so much less to connect with them on and so much about connecting and building strong networking and connections with your community is about having shared experiences so i hope that if you're listening to the show today you can walk away with the knowledge that all of these tough things that you're going through yes they're not fun and they're not always the best part of doing what you love but they're incredibly valuable to the things that connect you to the people around you and those people are going to be the the cohorts and the colleagues that really help you get to the next place in your job so the next time you're pushing through a particularly tough patch at work remember that all of this is really building up the tools that you have in your toolkit and they're going to get you to the next step in your job so from all of us here at design sponge we're wishing you wishing you best luck for that tough patch of work Mm -hmm. and thanks for listening and we'll be back next thursday with more business advice so thanks for listening 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.